Welcome to the Viewpoint Podcast with your host, Henry Grosek. Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grosek. It gives me great pleasure to welcome to Viewpoints for the first time, Ronnie Figdor, OAM. He's uh, the first Chief Operating Officer for Mind Medicine Australia. And uh, Ronnie's been lecturing in medical and business ethics for almost three decades and has a background in medical research, education, computing and management. Uh, And we'll be talking about uh, where Mind Medicine Australia are in their journey to uh, supporting people with psychedelic assisted therapies, uh, particularly in the area of um, mental health uh, conditions, and there's a lot of that around. But firstly, welcome to Viewpoints, uh, Ronnie Figdor. I was really impressed by that intro to me. I've often wondered what my obituary would sound like. That sounded good. Well, well, I hope it's a long time before that becomes part of an obituary for you, Ronnie, but uh, it does segue well into my first question. Medical research, education, computing management, um, and of course the inaugural Chief Operating Officer now for Mind Medicine Australia, and ethics is a big part of your professional background. Um, Yes. Such a diverse portfolio. Just give us a bit of a sketch of how come you've been in all those areas and what is there a common thread? Uh, there's a, there's definitely a common thread, a thirst for knowledge, I reckon. Also, I'm probably a bit of an unsettled person. I like to do different things in different parts of my life. It's not just changing changing uh, workplace but also changing vocation. Yeah, moved around a lot. Uh, and enjoy all of it. Yes. Um, and, and now you've landed uh, as the first Chief Operating Officer at Mind Medicine Australia. Um, well, firstly, tell us a bit for those people who are not familiar with Mind Medicine Australia, who they are and what they do. Okay. Very briefly, Mind Medicine Australia has been going there for a few years. It's probably the premier organisation advocating for uh, those the enormous number of people with mental health issues in Australia who could be treated by the use of psychedelic-assisted therapy. So it's psychedelics in a therapy session. That's what, that's what should be clear. And so what, what it does is it advocates for them and funds research um, and has uh, spawned even a, uh, a training program from cl- for clinicians. We can speak about that shortly. Mm. So that's that advocates for those people who are unfortunately are suffering from from mental health issues and could be treated with better therapies. Mm, mm. And 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 your reason for gravitating or hurtling or directing yourself into this particular role, given your breadth of um, your breadth of professional portfolio. Right. Well, I've just come from about fifteen years running not-for-profits, um, but my background was also in medical research and pharmacology, and as you mentioned, also in education, I've suddenly found this role really brings together all of those things, my background in pharmacology, my passion for making a difference in society, my love for education, um, and also um, and also my uh, 
reasonable expertise in managing not-for-profits and making sure that they run effectively and with good corporate governance. Mm. Well, that, that's, uh, that, 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 that all ticks those boxes. Now, before we get on to the psychedelic-assisted therapies, um, the massive scale, and, and it's on your website, of mental illness in Australia, it's getting worse. I'll just read out a couple. One in five adults with chronic mental illness, one in eight on antidepressants, one in four older people, and 30 children. It's just going up. Over 45% of Australians will experience a mental illness in their lifetime. What's going on there? And has, has, has the pandemic accentuated those figures? I'd like like to say that's what it is. But in fact, you're actually reading stats that were pre-COVID, so pre-pandemic. Uh, the World Health Organization released stats last week. I've got from the Journal of American Medical Association, JAMA, on the 17th of June is scarier than that. Do you want to give us a couple of figures just to scare us? <laughs> yeah, well, your, your listeners won't fall asleep at night, but to give you some idea, um, they describe it, by the way, as a human rights issue. They say that um, the anxiety and depression in the first year of COVID rose 25%. They reckon that uh, nearly 1 billion people worldwide um, have a mental health disorder, and that was exacerbated by pandemic. You're talking enormous figures. I mean, one of the things, I think we're, we're lucky, I suppose, in Australia, we're a reasonably well-off country, but in low- to middle-income countries, they were talking about one psychiatrist for every 200,000 or more uh, people. Now, we do better than that, but we're still not addressing the problem. So the one in five Australian adults, I'm worried, is probably higher than that since pandemic. Um, I'm worried. I'm saddened to say that two of our first responders last week took their own lives, two in three days. It's um, unfortunately not an uncommon occurrence. People, our listeners should, who are listening to this should actually reach out for help if they need help, but we are not addressing the problem and it's partly because the tools we've been using just haven't met the the needs mm. uh, and there are better tools available but have not been accessible till now mm. yeah looking at uh, at, at uh, depression and ptsd for example um uh, the evidence suggests that uh, in in depression only 35 percent of sufferers experience remission from yep. pharm pharmacotherapy, antidepressants and or psychotherapy and only 20 to 30% of with PTSD show some response to the same and only 50% to any treatments and remission rates are as low as, rates are as, low as 5%. Uh, yeah. They're scary, they're scary figures for people who are suffering from those sorts of mental health issues, uh, I would suggest, Ronnie. Well, Henry, they're not only scary, but people who are suffering from mental health issues probably probably could have told you this without actually reading our website. They are intimately aware of it. We've got people, unfortunately, we've got another one in the last six months who took his life, was uh, waiting for to access this therapy, the psychedelic-assisted therapy, um, and unfortunately couldn't wait any longer and took his own life. Um, okay, so maybe we should 
talk a little bit about the psychedelic assisted therapies before. Yes, because uh, it raises, I mean, f for a lot of people, I've mentioned this to a few friends and they go psychedelic and they think of the 1970s, you know, when we, yeah. when we had pop culture around and people were high on LSD and uh, yes. so on and there's a quite justifiable um, apprehension about, uh, you know, uh, hallucinatory inducing drugs and drug culture per se. Now, that I would think would be one of the um, the obstacles you would or resistance forces you would find people uh, taking note of you. So the floor is all yours for what you call a new paradigm for the future. That's right. So everything you say, I'm embarrassed to say that I also felt the same way <laughs> when I was first approached a few months ago to to move to Mind Medicine Australia. Um, I was approached from, from very high flies, you know, Tanya Dion, Peter Hunt, Admiral Chris Barry, who's on the, from the, uh, he's past chair of the Defence Force. You've got on, the Honourable Andrew Robb. Um, uh, people would know him as Australia's Minister for Trade and Investment and other, other things. You know, think, hang on, they're, they're approaching me about this sort of, this is really sus, and that, you've got these people, um, you know, heads of heads of mental health at the university, and they're approaching me to come, and I thought, hang on, I've obviously missed something, and you're quite right. I, like probably many of your listeners, have in, in, your, in our minds some of what I've now discovered are some of the myths of, of um, psychedelics, um, and I said, they have their hallucinatory, and you know that people are, people get high on them, and it's dangerous, and um, and a, a whole lot of myths. You know they're addictive. Well, it turns out that most of that is actually not correct. Um, so, but of course, I had to get involved in this to understand that more. So, just to say that first thing is, it looks like that these psychedelics were actually in pretty good use. Um, Many years ago, in fact, probably already by the ancient Greeks, but we were well entrenched in some of the therapies that are being provided um, back in the early 1900s. Merck, by the way, I remember Merck Sharp Dome. I remember that Merck developed MDMA, that uh, LSD stuff, back in 1912. It was being used in, in psychotherapies through the 1970s. So what the heck happened and how have I come up, as probably many of your listeners, with, with these thoughts in our mind, pejorative thoughts about, uh, about the use of these psychedelics? Mm. Well... Um, given that they were in such good use and we now haven't been that, why, why did they stop? Well, it turns out their um, psychedelics were criminalised from about 1970. Um, MDMA, that LSD stuff, was criminalised back in the 1980s. Why? So um, your, some of your list, most of your listeners, I suspect, would be too young to remember that uh, in the 1970s uh, there was... President Nixon, there was the um, uh, Vietnam War um, and lots and lots of anti-war protesters in the US and in some, to some degree by, back in Australia as well. Um, and it appears that the drugs that they were, in, they were using at those days, which they were using, by the way, community-wise or recreationally, but not necessarily under therapeutic um, advice 
was uh, was one way of controlling that population. So it sounds conspiratorial, but it turns out that John Ehrlichman, who was a senior Nixon aide, admits uh, subsequently in the hearing that uh, the anti-war left had to be controlled, but you couldn't stop them because you couldn't arrest them because they were anti-war. So what we did is the way to get at them was to um, to criminalise um, the use of marijuana and heroin and, and, and other psychedelics. And then you, we could, and this is a quote from him, his testimonial, uh, we could arrest their leaders, raid their homes, break up their meetings and vilify them night after night on the evening news. Did we know we were lying about the drugs? Of course we did, says John Ehrlichman. So it, because they were criminalised, you and I grew up, I, I suspect you're a lot younger than me, Harry, but you, Henry, but you and I grew up uh, with the view that that, that uh, it was bad for you. It was, it was uh, illegal, so it must have been bad for you. Blow me down the cycle. The, the research of recent years shows that they're, that they're extremely therapeutic and with high rates of uh, remission after therapeutic use. That's 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 really quite uh, quite amazing. Um, what given that they were criminalised and you know uh, shunned by many of us, um, where did where was the breakthrough in going down the path of testing them? Because there's always somewhere along the line somebody or somebody of thought that goes down, um, you know, as an outlier in uh, in research, testing something or trialling something, or by accident stumbling on something that uh, erstwhile was thought useless or, or, or even bad. So, so was there a particular moment, a particular person? Well, the, the particular moment, interestingly enough, by the way, already in... It's a great question. I'm not even sure I know the answer, but I can tell you back in the 1950s and 60s, already over 40 to 50,000 patients were part of therapeutic psychedelic sessions. And, and that was described as the next big thing in psychiatry. Someone in the uh, 2020s has picked up on this and suddenly there's this rush to deal with an epidemic of mental health crisis around the globe. And so you've got 160-plus trials happening at any point in time because suddenly people realise, hang on a moment, we dropped the ball. We had something was working in the 50s and 60s. Uh, someone, someone, I don't even know who suddenly picked it up, but, of course, it's been trialled and studied in many, many countries. Leaders, by the way, would be the US, Canada, um, Israel, um, and several other countries where it's now becoming uh, quite the norm to trial and possibly treat um, uh, those with a mental illness um, in a um, therapeutic session. And Henry, could I stress about the therapeutic session now? Absolutely, that... absolutely. But let me make it clear, MMA has no particular view on use outside of therapeutic sessions, not what our focus is on. Our, our focus is on making sure that um, during a therapy um, uh, with a clinician, maybe a psychiatrist or psychologist, sometimes a neuropsychologist or psychotherapist, they will give you, let's say, a 25 milligram dose uh, in a single tablet of 
let's say psilocybin from what we, we you and I know as magic mushrooms, mm-hmm. uh, and um, then the person is walked through for an extended period of time the process of the opening up of their mind, and. Unlike the current antidepressants, which you correctly pointed out earlier, uh, don't seem to be as efficacious as we'd like, those antidepressants keep you going sometimes indefinitely. Unlike these psychedelic-assisted therapies where you might have two or three sessions and you're effectively cured, you see, in with antidepressants or anti-anxiety tablets, you they, that's just a management tool that doesn't cure you. But through these PAT, you know, these psychedelic-assisted therapies, you might have two or three sessions and you're cured. It's quite amazing. Um, How has this been accepted by, you know, the establishment uh, uh, medical authorities? Because there's always always, um, the establishment there that views these things. Are they interested, uh, defensive, positive? Okay, so the tide is changing. There's no doubt in my mind the tide is changing. I've walked into the organisation just at the right time because it's currently a Schedule 9 drug, which is basically a prohibited substance. Um, To have a trial done in Australia, you apply for a special access, under a special access scheme to have it it trialled, and that's that's been happening around the country. But, But what I say that the tide is shifting because the research is so overwhelming and now you've got so many universities here in Australia that are getting involved in research, so many politicians that have picked up on this that people are saying, hang on a moment, hang on, something's happening. And yes, it is a paradigm shift. Uh, We've got something that that we should should be using to address a growing um, uh, pandemic. And that pandemic now... Is is one of uh, mental illness, which is just increasing. Mm. Now, now um, you said this was a game changer. Um, yeah. Explain that a bit more. What do you see five, ten years down the track? Well, at the moment, the TGA, the Therapeutic Goods Administration, who our I suppose our equivalent of the US FDA. They're currently reviewing the rescheduling of some of these psychedelics um, to be used as part of a therapy session, and they would be only used in that um, session, but basically there would be a Schedule 8 drug. that could It's not the sort of drug you could even get a prescription and go get it over the counter. You Basically, it's administered by the professional, the clinician at the time. Um, but... That's currently on the cusp, and I can see that in 18 months' time, and I hope the TGA do finally approve that um, in September. Certainly, if anyone's concerned, you can certainly – there was a submission period that's finished about three weeks ago, but certainly people can speak to their – to Mind Medicine Australia or their local MP and just make sure that things are progressing well. But I can see in 18 months' time we're going to kick ourselves – that we'd been sitting on therapies for decades that we had not used and we've lost so many lives. And as the as the World Health Organization says, this is a human rights issue to give ready access to people in need of mental assistance, uh, to give them access to the tools that they need. It's not the only tool, by the way. 
current methodologies should conti continue. This is one extra um, piece in the puzzle, if you like, or uh, an extra part of the repertoire that that clinicians can use. And we're currently training lots and lots of clinicians. We start a new training in Melbourne and Sydney in a couple of weeks' time. It's called CPAT, Certification in, in uh, Psychedelic-Assisted Therapy. That's going to be the flavour of the month. And in 18 months' time, you won't be able to get into a course because there are going to be so many people who've signed up that we can't run the courses fast enough to give that extra tool in the repertoire of clinicians. Mm. And and you're you're confident or hopeful or and confident that in September the TGA um, will approve will approve I'm so, I don't having had some experience with government lots of roles, I don't actually know what will happen. I'm certainly hopeful <laughs> and tell you that programs like this um, Four corners, 60 minutes, all of them are picking up this over the last couple of years. And currently we've had calls recently. Uh, they're running with it because they can see the writing on the wall. And I can see now that if people pick up, uh, uh, vote with their feet or or uh, shout loud enough, uh, people will, will hear. We've actually, by the way, we, Henry, this is important. We've got 35 chapters of MMA, Mind Medicine Australia, around Australia and Zealand. And it's grassroots level i must admit a lot of the people there are working in the field i spoke to one earlier today who's actually a death doula she works in palliative care but they're working in the field but there are a lot of people in the chapters are people who just want to help other people they know who suffer from mental illness and grassroots level and they're advocating to their local mp and, and getting the message out there mm. so do I know what happened? I'm certainly hopeful. Am I confident? Not yet. Mm. And if people want to find out more about Mind Medicine Australia, how would they do that? Uh, uh, mindmedicineaustralia.org.au is our website. And for clinicians who are interested in doing the training, if you can still get in, we've, as we've pretty much closed the next intake, but if you can still get in, Mind Medicine Institute is the separate organisation associated with us, mindmedicineinstitute.org.au. Those that's for clinicians who wish to sign up for training, but yeah, mindmedicineaustralia.org.au is the way they can get information from us. We're happy to assist in whatever way possible and put people in touch with a chapter in Dunedin in New, New Zealand or in Townsville in Queensland or wherever they wish to sign up in a chapter. Mm. Well, look, I wish you all the best, Ronnie. I mean, mental health is such a uh, fragile thing for so many people and so costly and yeah. painful uh, when you lose your 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 best mental health uh, if this can work it would be it would be a wonderful advance for humanity and uh, I can only yeah. thank you for your time to share those uh, so share your, that information with us on viewpoints well thank you very much and thanks to listeners of viewpoints it's been wonderful having our, our discussion today absolutely it was ronnie figdor of the uh, oam as the first chief operating officer for mind medicine australia australia's peak advocacy organization promoting psychedelic assisted therapies uh, for people out there with mental health uh, disorders we'll take a short break don't go away You've been listening to the Viewpoints Podcast, hosted by Henry Grossek and produced by Rob Kelly. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review and rate us via Apple Podcasts.